you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So into the season of Advent we go. It's a season that does invite us to prepare ourselves for the celebration of Christmas, of the birth in time of the timeless Son of God, but before there is any talk of the angel Gabriel, the promised baby, we have first this gospel text from late in Jesus' life, in which he speaks to his disciples of a coming crisis, of their need to be awake, watchful, and ready. These are dangerous and uncertain times, he's saying to them, and you can't let yourself imagine that the status quo is going to hold. This, recall, is part of a long discourse that had begun with Jesus telling them that the temple, in all of its solid and imposing splendor, that temple was soon to be torn to the ground. You can't doze off complacently in such circumstances. Listen to the Roman swords rattling in the streets. Keep awake. Paired with that gospel text is one from the prophet Isaiah, which also peers ahead into the future. But Isaiah's images are touched by light, hopefulness, and promise. So anyone who imagines that the Old Testament is only about law and judgment, while it's only in the New Testament that we begin to to have more hopeful language of God's promises and grace, uh, set that aside. There's plenty of hope in the Old, and there's plenty of warning in the New. So, God shall judge between the nations, Isaiah declares, shall arbitrate for many peoples, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Such lovely and light-filled images as we see weapons of destruction become tools for working the fields, tools for the production of food and food for all. The nation, the nations, streaming to Zion, to holy Jerusalem, so that they may be able to walk in the ways of the Lord. Man, there must have been some hopeful days that produced that kind of imagery, right? No, not hopeful times. In fact, the days in which those Isaiah words were written were not at all unlike the days into which Jesus spoke. This part of Isaiah comes from a time when the Assyrian Empire held sway in the ancient Near East, having already destroyed and dispersed the northern kingdom of Israel, now holding Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem as a defeated vassal state. In the previous chapter, Isaiah had written about those circumstances with these hard words, Your country lies desolate. 
Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, aliens devour your land. It's desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. Daughter Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a shelter in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Yet somehow, the prophet dares to summon the imagination and faith to sing his song of a remarkable new future, calling the people to dare to walk in the light of the Lord right in the midst of all of that loss, to dare to do that now amidst the rubble of what once was. There is a future, Isaiah is saying, and it's one in which not only will we be restored, but also one which will draw the nations, presumably among them Assyria, will draw the nations to God's new path. So no, Isaiah isn't basing his hopeful song in some rosy period in the nation's history. His context is actually worse than was the Judea of Jesus' days. For in Jesus' time, the cities hadn't yet begun to burn. The country was not yet desolated. Daughter Zion, Jerusalem, not yet besieged. But, reading the signs of the times, Jesus can see that it won't be long at all before the Roman Empire will grow impatient and finally just bring the hammer down on Jerusalem and bring it down hard. Yet Jesus is also speaking about more than just the imminent political and military threat posed by Rome, much as that is clearly in his view. He's speaking also about what he calls the coming of the Son of Man, which is another way of speaking to his own return in the fullness of time to bring things to their fullness and completion. In a sense, to bring about the new creation which will have about it the peaceableness of which Isaiah had sung with his swords into plowshares imagery, a time for which we are still waiting. The road to the new beginning is not a smooth or painless one, as summarized by Ronald Allen. As Matthew sets it out in his gospel, quote, God is acting through Jesus Christ to effect the change. The birth, life, and resurrection are the first phase of the transformation, with the complete manifestation arriving with the second coming. Meanwhile, Matthew's community lives in a conflict zone between the ages. By the time this particular gospel was written and circulated, its readers knew of the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Many knew firsthand this conflict zone between the ages. They had been dragged before magistrates, brought under condemnation, some tortured, some jailed, some exiled, which may actually be what is in view in those words of Jesus when he said that two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left.
Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Now you may be familiar with the perspective, first made popular in the 1830s by a man named John Nelson Darby. He was a prominent figure in the original Plymouth Brethren, and then the founder of his own breakaway group called the Exclusive Brethren. His was a reading of this text that says that at this time of coming crisis, some will be swept safely away, while others will be, in a phrase made very popular in a series of novels and films, some will be left behind to face tribulation. Many, many, many biblical scholars, however, in reading the whole of Matthew 24, the whole of the discourse, are persuaded that Jesus is probably saying something quite the opposite. N.T. Wright, for instance, says that Jesus is saying that the coming crisis, the conflict zone, will divide families and work colleagues down the middle. For when invading forces sweep through a town or village, they will take some off to their deaths and leave others untouched. It is, in fact, precisely what happened when the Roman Empire brought the hammer down. Some were taken, some were left. Now, we don't live in such dangerous and turbulent times, or at least not in the way that our ancient forebears did. The chances of any of us being dragged off by soldiers as we exit the church tonight is slim to utterly none, right? But our times are not without their turbulence internationally, politically, socially, environmentally. Open the newspaper and read of the horrific incident at London Bridge last week or of the ongoing political and civil upheaval in Iraq. Read of those fires in Australia, or of microplastics discovered in Arctic waters, which speak of the degradation we've wrought in our own environment. Read of how in this neighborhood there are businesses and even some social agencies locking their doors in response to the desperation of folks who've been rendered that desperate by addictions. Read of homeless folks camped in vacant lots all around West Broadway or on the edges of a very, very, very high river. And why is that river so high? With such things in view, you cannot deny that our world is one deeply troubled with great brokenness. To this, N.T. Wright asks, who knows what will happen next week, next year, adding, it's up to each church and each individual Christian to answer the question, are you ready? Are you awake? To which I'd add, yes, the call to be awake, not in denial, ready, prepared, to mobilize as we can with our hands open to grace to help us do it. To that I'd add, and are we so bold as to sing with Isaiah, 
the promise of that deep swords into plowshares peaceableness, all evidence to the contrary. Because at heart what Advent says to us is that the world's future, all of creation's future, can finally only be held, redeemed, and recreated by God in Christ, who is always and ever prepared to do a whole new thing. So into the season of Advent we go, hold your hands open to the possible, watch, wait, prepare, and be ready. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.